And if you could turn with me to your Bibles, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And if you haven't been here, uh, this is your first time with us, we're, gonna, we're going through a very short series on wondering whether there's such thing as good without God. Uh, whether there's such thing as uh, <clears throat> uh, understanding of, of how we make of good in this world, uh, and we're at attaching that to common grace and how we understand common grace. And I've entitled this message, The Gospel in Common Grace. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the reading of God's holy word, if you could join with me as we look at the text this afternoon. Jesus and Zacchaeus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the, the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and stood, said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As a reading of God's holy word, would you join with me as we bow our heads in prayer and ask the Spirit to work in our hearts this afternoon. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time to get into your scriptures. And I pray that what we would do is really understand and get a good grasp of common grace in this world and how we as Christians, how we as a body approach the world today. I thank you, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's, there's something in our Christian journey where we start to classify people in this world that are absolutely different from us as dangerous. Somehow, we as Christians go through this embarking in our lives where we start to think, oh, we cannot associate ourselves with certain types of people. Maybe you find yourself saying, hanging out with Muslim people uh, will get me to disbelieve the gospel, and so therefore I will stay away. Maybe it's hanging out with uh, homosexual people will get me to question the scriptures. And so we'll think, oh, they're going to do something to, to convert us. And so we tend to refrain. And the real danger is actually, I believe, that we will get to know them, we'll get to like them, and we'll get to respect them, people who are not of the same ilk or the same faith as we are. And we may even conclude that people as good as these, well, they don't need the gospel at all. We might find ourselves questioning God's fairness as to why he would condemn people to hell like these for all, eternal, uh, for all eternity, people who are as 
good as, if not better than I am. And the end result is that God is blamed for all that is wrong with the world and mankind is credited with all that is good. You see, this is some sort of slippery slope you and I as Christians or the Christian world may get ourselves into. But understanding the biblical teaching on common grace can keep us from these errors. And it's because of God's common grace, God giving, sending rain on both believers and unbelievers, and God's providence that people who worship other gods or no God at all can be really wonderful people. And so that much in their lives, uh, that so much in their lives and their marriages and families can actually be exemplary to us as Christians. And instead of questioning God's fairness, maybe we could find ourselves praising God for his goodness because of all the good that we might see in this world. And even the goodness in the people who deny him, we can still acknowledge, if we have an understanding that is correct about common grace, we can still acknowledge the active work of God in his common grace in this world. You see, people don't want to admit it, but our creator is active in our world, bestowing his grace on all of mankind. And the goodness that we see all around us in the daily acts of men should lead us to worship God because it proves that he is good and it should motivate us to tell others about the special grace that has been imparted to us, the, 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 the need for God in his uh, salvific grace. And so to understand common grace, can lead us to the gospel. Now, I have three points for you. The condition of man, the character of God, and the glory of the gospel. Now, this first point, the condition of man to forget or to deny the doctrine of common grace causes us to misjudge the nature and the character of mankind. One of the ways we do so is that we find ourselves as Christians uh, demonizing non-Christian people, non-believers. How? Well, first, the doctrine of hell becomes more palatable to you and me if we think and believe that those who are going to hell are the worst kinds of people. Right? And what, does, what that does is that it puts this barrier between Christians and those terrible, quote-unquote, people. We don't welcome the church, them to church. They're the enemy. And so we tend to, in our error, we tend to demonize people because of how we might look at hell. We might say, heaven is for the good, hell is for the bad. Second, we might demonize because it gives us this false security about the changes that the Lord has made in our own lives. When we do this, we just look like the Pharisee in the parable who takes great comfort in not being like the tax collector. 
It's like when I criticize a smoker for how unhealthy they are while I'm going to a dessert buffet every single day of my life, right? It's kind of hypocritical. One of the dangers in, although I might add that smoking is, might be better than dessert eating. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, I'm not. Uh, one of the dangers in talking to non-believers and non-Christians is that they, they can see the hypocrisy in your lives just as clearly as you can see in theirs. You see, the doctrine of common grace helps us to see people biblically. And we know that anyone, anyone, whether they're a believer or not, is capable of the greatest acts of good and the greatest acts of kindness, even of great love and sacrifice. But even though they're capable of doing so, this does not mean that we are all good. Does that make sense? It only means that you and I have been stamped with the indelible indelible image of God from creation. We've been stamped and breathed into by God's image and his breath and that God's providence brings good out of that which is broken. He can bring good out of that which is broken. I want you to think about the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. You see, this man seems to have all the outward signs that God favors him, that God saves him. But he comes to ask Jesus, the good teacher, whether he's been good enough to inherit eternal life. And Jesus admits to him, he says, you know, you're pretty darn close. And if there's a law out there that you haven't, uh, that you have obeyed, you've got them all. And he probably, this man, this rich young ruler, probably went above and beyond all the commandment keeping. But look at the statement that you look at in Luke 18, where we might overlook what Jesus' response to the rich young ruler is. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, the ruler, he doesn't hear that. He's rich beyond his, you know, wildest dreams. He rules some sort of uh, kingdom of his. He's done all the, the, you know, everyone around him in his circles has looked at this man uh, with with, uh, admiration to say, wow, this guy is really, if there's anyone that's close to God and that's anyone that can be good, it's this guy. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And the ruler doesn't hear it because he doesn't stop to say, what, what, excuse me? Did, did, I, did I hear you correctly? Did you just say that no one is good but God alone? But we don't want to hear that we're not good. And our goodness, like that of this ruler, has blinded us to our real need. We learn in this story that this this goodness and our goodness aren't good enough because Jesus tells us all in the most graphic of descriptions, using a camel and a needle, that our salvation is beyond our ability. Who can be saved? Not a rich man 
who thinks that he can be as close to good to God as possible is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Who can be saved then? Well, Jesus says, well, what is impossible with men is possible with God. You see, we, we need to see, one, that man's great achievements are proof of God's goodness. Let's never degrade that. We should see them as evidence of the greatness that we were created for. And all God's people, all God's uh, uh, creation uh, that have been breathed in with the, the image of God can create great good. And they were once capable of creating real good. But we've fallen from that. Okay? Now, second point. The character of God. You see, because of our nature, now that we've, been, we've fallen from grace, now that we've been entainted with sin because of uh, our, our, our first Adam, we can misinterpret common grace. It can give us a false reading on our goodness and God's character. And this happens when we measure ourselves against the wrong standard or we are unaware of what that standard might be. See, because we don't want to understand the moral perfection of God and His holiness, we choose to compare ourselves to standards that make us appear to be much better than we actually are. You see, the entire process causes us to focus on ourselves and not on our Creator, to change the standard and, and, and completely misread our own goodness. We also completely misunderstand it and will not give credit for that goodness where it is due to God. You see, what our goodness should teach us is that we have a Creator whose moral perfection and holiness transcends the goodness we see in this world around us. The whole point of what I'm trying to say is our holiness and our goodness, I should say, cannot even compare to God's holiness. But when common grace is not recognized as the source of whatever goodness might be in us, if this grace is not recognized to be from God, we can diminish the nature and the purpose of God's work on the cross. When we fool ourselves into believing that we are good enough to, to do things, it causes us to look at Christ's death on the cross as either an inspiring example we should attempt or to follow, or at worst, a tragedy in which Jesus was a victim who died a needless death. What we do not want to admit is what the scriptures teach. 1 Timothy 1.15 says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And by shedding his blood, Christ was able to do what common grace could never do, fully satisfy the holy God whom we've offended. And Paul speaks of Christ's work as settling a debt we cannot pay. Now, we as Christians, we recognize that, and you should recognize that. But Christ not only satisfies our debts with God, he delivers us from the power of the evil one by the cross. Christ not only removed the curse we're under and delivered us from the power of Satan, 
but he also made us alive through his resurrection. And you see, common grace can never compare to the perfect and finished work of Jesus. Common grace and providence should not be confused with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We think that if God gives us goodness in our lives, God doesn't judge us right away, which is common grace. God gives us uh, material blessings to a certain degree. That's part of common grace. But we should not confuse that with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies to the lives of his people the benefits won by Christ's work of uniting us with him. And it is out of this union with Christ that all benefits are now ours. These benefits can be looked at in two ways. There are those that unite us to Christ and those that conform us to his image. And so common grace, by either its presence or its absence, is not an indicator of the Holy Spirit's saving work in, any, in someone. We should proclaim the gospel to everyone, regardless of the evidence of God's common grace in our lives. Now, I say all that because there are two things the Spirit does in our lives that, that are different than the common grace. Common grace is still grace. It is still God giving good to us. But it's different from the way the work that Spirit, the Holy Spirit does. First is regeneration. It, it is a benefit that precedes repentance. It precedes faith, our response to what the Spirit has done in our lives. It is a being born again, that which only the Spirit can work in our hearts. No man can regenerate their heart. And therefore, that is a special grace. That is a saving grace in which the Spirit works in regeneration. Secondly, is the work of the Spirit whereby He produces in us qualities that are seen in God the Father and God the Son. That's where Paul refers to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's one fruit in like nine dimensions, right? That means all these dimensions are seen in our lives, right? Goodness, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, self-control, right? But most importantly, what this tells us is that common grace and special grace come from similar goodness foundations. But special grace can only be what saves. And that's why when your lives are patterned after Christ, after the gospel, it is a saving grace. Only the saving good is going to get us to see that we are in need of a Savior and that we sacrifice not for any ulterior motive other than God's glory. That's what saving grace fruit looks like. Only saving grace and saving good is going to have a patience that goes beyond sheer eye-for-an-eye principle and applies grace to situations where judgment should have been given. And it's only because of the grace that our Lord Jesus Christ has given to us that opens our eyes to a new type of heavenly perspective and life and living. Both are gifts of God, common grace, special grace. But one saves. Now, third, the, the glory of, of the gospel, the doctrine of God's common grace should also teach us 
something of the special grace that's offered only in the gospel. Because they're related in at least two ways. And follow along with me. It says, first, as common, God's common grace touches and impacts every aspect of everyone's life, the gospel in which Christ offers saving grace to his people leavens every part of the believer's life. There's no area of the Christian life that is not changed by God's saving grace. And therefore, the glory of the gospel is that it doesn't transform only those areas of our lives that we believe need changing. It also transforms areas of our lives that we are not even aware need changing. And, even it, it, even it, and it even pries our hands off of those areas of our lives that we don't want Christ to touch at all. That's what the saving grace does. The way you know Christ is at work in your life is because he messes with everything. We have sold the gospel to people as you know, quick help for a particular problem rather than as a complete makeover that will last a lifetime. The glory of the gospel is that it's not patchwork. It is a completely new creation. And secondly, just as God's common grace is manifested in the physical world, impacting people's lives and society as a whole, God's special grace spills over our personal lives, manifesting itself in, in relationships, families, communities, cultures, in the world. The, the glory of the gospel is that it manifests itself by bringing together people from all sorts of diverse backgrounds and, and cultures and socioeconomic groups and, and makes them into a new community. The glory of the gospel is that it sets right the fundamental relationship in our lives, our relationship with God. This is our real need, whether we know it or not. The glory of the gospel is unlike God's common grace because the special grace of Christ can bring comfort and hope to the most troubled heart. And therefore, I could peace in, 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 each, each of, yeah, in each one of you a diverse thing and a diverse gift that you have that God has now called you all in here to work together, to be united in Christ. And only a special grace can do such a thing. And that's where we get to our text today. All of that just to get to Luke 19. You see, we find Zacchaeus hoping to get a look at Jesus. And Zacchaeus knew that his real problem was not his physical height, although that was made fun of, but it was his heart condition. Zacchaeus came up short when it came to measuring up to God's standard. And it wasn't that Zacchaeus was an evil man as far as men go. People didn't look at him as like a Hitler. But he was tainted by his occupation. What was his occupation? Well, as a tax collector, he was outside the covenant people. He was considered by the covenant people a thief for taking all the taxes and all the hard-earned money that they had accrued and worked for. But secondly, he was co collaborating and corroborating with the enemy. 
He's working for Rome and therefore a traitor. He was a continual reminder that he was not part of the people of God. And you see, common grace offered him no hope. But what we see in the story of Zacchaeus is that although he lived his, worked, lived his life, worked his life and all this stuff, and he was hated on by his own people, it was Christ who found him. No matter what Zacchaeus and other people, others believed to be obstacles that kept him from being in a right relationship with God, these were not obstacles for Jesus. And in the story of Zacchaeus, Christ proved not only that he came to seek and save the lost, but also that he actually can and does find and save even those whom all of society writes off as being beyond the reach of God's grace. You see, the glory of the gospel is that the opinion of men is not the opinion of Christ. And why I read Luke 19 and the story of Zacchaeus is that aren't we all people who have been blessed by common grace and we've seen good in our lives, but it's never a saving grace. And like Zacchaeus, we've all had a hand reached out to us. We were never seen by society, never acknowledged to be good enough. And yet it is Christ who calls you and calls you by name and says, I have come to seek and save the lost. If we can understand how even though we've lived this life and, and common grace has done some great things for our lives and there's plenty of common grace in the lives of our friends who are in school, who are in work, who may not believe the, the gospel and we should never refrain from them. In fact, we should uh, embrace them. We should love the things that they bring to the world. We should, we should uh, acknowledge the, the good that comes out of their work and their, their minds even if they have ulterior motives like we might have ulterior motives. And yet it is Christ who out of that realm can pluck us out and say, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. You see, common grace and, and, and the goodness that we find in this world, one, we should never disassociate ourselves with the world. Yes, we're not of the world. We shouldn't do the things the world does. But we should never disassociate ourselves with the world. There is good in all image bearers of God. And the whole point of the common grace and understanding this is to see how the gospel can really resonate. That even though no one, not one is righteous, the gospel can call all sorts of people out from the depths and say, let me show you true Saving grace it is our Lord Jesus Christ who has done that, who has sought the sinner. And we too, therefore, ought to seek the sinner, not push them to the side, embrace their good, 
understand their weaknesses and their bad, and we might disagree with them. That's fine. But if we understand how God uses even common grace to convert the sinner to special grace, then we can do our part in evangelizing and using the gospel in these realms. So let's not push people aside. Let's not treat them as lesser evils or or worse evils than us. Let's embrace them. Befriend them. Get to know them. Love them. And then be an ambassador of the gospel and special grace to them. Let's pray.